I'm Mark Galliotti and welcome to another In Moscow Shadow Cellcast, recorded on Tuesday the 24th of November 2020, released today to patrons and a week later to everyone else. And as usual in these cellcasts, I really want to focus and dig down into one very specific point, in this case a piece of particular political wonkery, looking at Konstantin Malofeyev and his new Tsargrad political movement mentioning Tsargrad, literally means emperor city, but it's the old name that the Rus gave to Constantinople and is therefore very much associated with not just secular power, but also spiritual power as a second Rome. Anyway, I must admit, I, I find Malafeyev quite fascinating because amidst all the opportunists, cynics, hucksters, profiteers, chameleons and carpetbaggers around Putin's court, who are, let's be honest, willing to do and say whatever in the name of position, profit and protection, Malafeyev actually seems to believe in something. Something that generally fits with, but is not exactly congruent with Putin's policies. And even if I, I must admit, I personally have a problem with a lot of what he believes, ironically enough, I actually think that Malafeyev's progress is perversely encouraging, proof that some kind of real politics still persists in today's Russia. After all, the sad truth is that real politics must embrace also those people whom you quite possibly deeply dislike. So, Konstantin Malofeyev. He's a 46-year-old businessman who founded Marshall Capital, a major investment group, in 2005, after a decade working in Renaissance Capital and various other finance houses there. But his money-making activities are arguably much less interesting than his money-spending activities. Malafeyev would presumably describe himself as a patriot, others might well say nationalist, and he's also a very fervent Russian Orthodox believer, and these are very much absolutely at the heart of his political activities. So let's take a look at what is just some, a few small sampling, of his various charitable, cultural and political activities. In 2007, he founded the St. Basil the Great Charitable Foundation, which is a massive charitable foundation today. And it builds and repairs churches, it supports orthodox festivals and media, does various kinds of general charitable work, and also things like campaigning against abortion. Since 2012, though, it's also been supporting Russian Orthodox Church movements and activities outside Russia, including in the United States. And there are claims, unproven claims, it has to be said, that there was also support given to Marine Le Pen's Front National, again, right-wing movement in France. Then, in 2011, there was the establishment of the Safe Internet League, which is an offshoot of the the Charitable Foundation, of which uh, Malafeyev is now, I understand, chairman of the Board of Trustees. And it champions, with some success, against, quote, paedophilia, homosexuality and extremism on the internet. Presumably their extremism is not included. And, as I said, it, it is definitely part of a wider movement that sanctions a campaign for political control over the so-called sovereign internet. In other words, Russia, the Russian government should have a chance to control the Russian internet, which is, let's be honest, more about politics than it is about uh, 
champion against homosexuality or all that kind of thing. But this in, in some ways provides a sort of a cultural as well as religious screen for what are essentially political moves. In 2014, he was central, frankly, to the unofficial side of the Crimean annexation, and he apparently bankrolled the operations of both Igor Girkin, so-called Strelkov, who then also played a crucial role in kicking off the whole Donbass adventure, and Alexander Borodai, the political technologist who come on to become, briefly, Prime Minister of the self-declared Donetsk People's Republic. And for all this and other things as well, Malafay is under Western sanctions. Now, in 2015, he then went on to set up the Tsagrad TV TV channel, um, which is actually quite a slick operation. He actually hired a, surprise, surprise, Fox News producer um, to help set it up. And obviously, as you'd imagine, it runs a very orthodox nationalist propaganda slant with a very sort of strong uh, internet angle to it too. Then he set up the Double-Headed Eagle Society, and again, you know, evoking these very traditional czarist symbolisms. And this is a nationalist, monarchist political movement that, again, has even spread abroad within the so-called Ruskimir, the Russian world. In other words, the emigre and expatriate community abroad. And, you know, again, it it has provided uh, an umbrella structure for a whole variety of different um, nationalist, traditionalist, socially conservative groups and individuals to come together. Now, well, at the um, Doublehead Eagle Society's uh, Congress of the 22nd of November, they formally established the Tsargrad political movement. In other words, basically its own political party which plans to contest all the single-member constituency seats in the 2021 Duma elections. So it's worth actually taking a look at its manifesto points and to see what it positions itself as, but also where there's some scope for some future tensions. It certainly starts as it means to go on. This is, if if you allow me to quote it in the entirety, this is almost the opening preamble. We are the heirs of great victories of Russian arms over the Khazar Khaganate, over the Golden Horde, over the Commonwealth. And I should note, actually, they mean the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth, not, not Queen Elizabeth II's. Over the Crimean Khanate, over the Kingdom of Sweden, over Ottoman Turkey. Mm, not so much in Azerbaijan these days, but never mind. Over the French Empire of Napoleon and over Nazi Germany, we are children of victory. That's all good stirring stuff. Then the manifesto has eight points, which I'm just quickly run through. First of all, to cleanse school textbooks of liberal Russophobia and anti-religiosity. Well, I mean, I've talked about this in in a previous podcast. There's clearly this... uh, current big thing over history textbooks, in part because Putin himself has decided that this is one of those key issues in which um, an unfair West is trying to demonise and minimise Russia's role in saving civilization against the Nazis. But it's interesting, this notion of liberal Russophobia inside the textbooks, there is clearly this this, um, cultural war narrative being presented that in fact, if you are not for a certain kind of Russia, you are against it. Secondly, to develop, quote, Russian amendments to the Constitution on issues such as family and migration and so forth. 
Now, yeah, okay, in part, this is obviously just simply another way of trying to get things like new laws against abortion and such like slipped in. But it's interesting to me that it fits in with this notion that it's something that one, one, one sees across the Russian nationalist span at the moment, which is this idea, look, the non-Russian minorities, they have their own movements, they have their constituent uh, republics, they have all kinds of perks, whereas what about the majority Russians? Well, of course, the whole point is actually that the majority Russians do very well out of the Russian Federation. But still, it's interesting for me because it's a narrative that we see, frankly, the world over. It was quite central to the Trump appeal, particularly in 2016. Um, this, this idea that, in fact, well, what about who will speak for the, those who are not being spoken for? There's the evidence of this beginning to become more of a factor within Britain as we see not just Scottish, but also Welsh and Northern Ireland. Local politicians pushing more for, for devolution and so forth. This notion of, well, what about England? What about England's role within the United Kingdom? Why are we being ignored? So I think, again, at a time of growing centrifugality, shall we say, within, within politics, there is this, this notion that actually the central role, the central nation somehow gets overlooked. Again, I think it's a very self-serving and usually thoroughly inaccurate one. But nonetheless, it's a pervasive one. Thirdly, to unite under the double-headed eagle all healthy forces of Russian society. And again, I hope you understood that there were quotation marks around the healthy forces. This is clearly, again, pushing the notion of a movement that must have leadership within the, these, the sort of this particular wing of, of Russian politics. Now, at the moment, this is just rhetorical. We'll just have to see how far, though, it manages to have the case. And if actually Sagrad starts to prove to have some kind of electoral juice, well, then it may be that other movements will try and sort of shelter under the wings of the double-headed eagle. We'll have to wait and see. Fourth, volunteer assistance to Russians in need, especially large families, elderly and the disabled. Well, actually, perfectly, perfectly fine, surely. Except, of course, obviously, the large families, it fits in with this notion of a demographic struggle going on. That actually Russians, and it is true that the, the birth rate of Russians and the death rate is such that, in fact, Russians are a shrinking people. And this idea that actually that we need to have more Russians to, to refill our land, it's a pervasive one. We saw it under Soviet times, particularly Stalin, and the notion of sort of heroin mothers, if they sort of managed to pop out, I think, eight children. This is something that obviously is being dragged up again. Fifth, develop activities in the information field. This is a nice, interesting quote here. Every member, quote, must become a network activist. This is a, an interesting sign, I think, of, of, of modernity and the understanding of the extent to which actually it is social media and other forms of, of internet activity, which are going to be quite crucial. I mean, this is something clearly Navalny, in his own way, has understood. Well, now we have, shall I say, the, 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 the mirror universe anti-Navalny of Malafeyev, also looking for ways in which actually he can mobilise his own base to themselves carry out this activity. You know, on the one hand, you've got someone like Yevgeny Prigozhin, who I'll talk about in a moment, as the, the, the lord of the trouble farms, which is very much kind of a top-down thing. People are hired, they're paid, they come in, they, they clock on, they do their work, and then they go home. This is actually about, shall we say, bottom-up troll breeding instead. Sixth, fight against Russophobia in the legal field and provide assistance for Russians faced with official arbitrariness. Well, I mean, this could be domestic. It could be precisely that, in fact, if, I don't know, particular 
clerics or activists find themselves um, under you know, legal troubles, then the movement will look after them. I also find myself wondering, though, if this might also give it some kind of foreign role. When you have figures, and I'm thinking of particularly the, the whole issue of Maria Butina, the Russian gun rights activist who became sort of identified and I think personally rather unfairly traduced as some kind of agent of the Kremlin in the United States. But there was a whole issue about who was going to help pay her legal bills. Well, again, this is, a, this is another leadership bid. This is basically saying, or potentially saying, that we will look after people who try and push Russian interests abroad when the states abroad then seek to prosecute them. Seven, reduce the inflow of low-skilled migrants from Central Asia and the Caucasus. Now, look, this is one of these classic Russian nationalist things. They, they don't like seeing all these quote-unquote black faces around them. But one has to ask, who is going to shovel the snow and build those new metro lines then? The demographics simply do not allow this at the moment. So I'm not sure how far this is um, regarded as plausible. Is it simply a long-term thing to kind of twin with this notion of supporting, making sure that Russians have large families again and so forth? Or whether it's just a bit of crowd-pleasing rhetoric? We'll have to wait and see if they actually push anything serious on that. And finally, number eight, develop Russian sports, which to me sounded like a strange one to tack on at the end. I suppose a you know, healthy body and healthy mind. But let's be honest, it tends also to be something of a populist, nationalist, even fascist shtick. This idea that somehow sports equals a virile country equals a virile state. That's my only explanation for that. Now, you know, a lot of this is boilerplate nationalist stuff that we've seen before. And also the people involved in this new Tsargrad movement, you know, very much it's a usual suspects. I don't know, the statist economist Sergei Glaziev, who played such a crucial role also in stirring up the trouble in the Donbass in 2014 that was used as the pretext for, for this Russian operation there. The Eurasianist philosopher Alexander Dugin, uh, who still seems to rejoice under the mistaken claim that he's Putin's brain. He had his moment in the sun in 2014 when his philosophies were useful to justify what Russia was doing in Ukraine, but then was as easily and as quickly ditched that same year when he no longer was convenient. Then there's the uh, journalist and self-professed Lubertsy intellectual Eduard Chesnokov and, and so on. Again, the, the, you know, none of these are people who kind of cropped up out of unexpected directions. But there are a few reasons why I find the creation of this movement interesting. First of all, again, to go back to this point, Malofeyev believes. For many, cosplay nationalism is just part of being a member of the Putinist elite. So you endow a church here, you inveigh against Russophobia there, just to fit in. Malofeyev actually seems to want to nudge policy not just in the direction of his bank balance, but in real ways. I mean, he, you know, notoriously, he is widely seen as the prime mover between, behind the attempted coup in Montenegro in uh, 2016, as well as all kinds of, sort of domestic policy initiatives. So this is not just someone who's waiting to get the steer from the Kremlin and will then wholeheartedly jump on board, if I can mix my metaphors. No, instead, he is someone who actually wants to push the policy. He's not just, as I said, another Yevgeny Prigozhin in that respect. Prigozhin is you know, Lord of the Troll Farms and Wagner mercenaries, but he does what the Kremlin wants and makes money in the process. 
No, no, no. Malafeyev is prepared to spend money to try and encourage the Kremlin in certain directions. So, this is my second broad point. This is unlikely to be part of the, the political dramaturgia. The creation of a whole slew of false, tame opposition parties to distract and divide the electorate, which is something that we are definitely seeing happening at the moment. So, Malafeyev might well be making himself inconvenient for Sergei Kirienka, the first deputy head of the presidential administration, and really, I think, the main political choreographer of the moment. This is the problem for them. They opened the door to creating all these new parties at the moment because, again, it suited their needs. And Malafeyev is shouldering his way through that door as well. Third broad point, though, again, Malafeyev has resources, but it's a bit hard to actually identify them. You know, where above all does the money come from? Take Zagreb TV. It basically was a billion rubles in the red between 2014 and 2018. And generally speaking, if one looks at many of Malafeyev's projects, they, they are consumers, not creators of resources. Now, I don't know where the money is truly coming from. Whether it comes from the Kremlin, I doubt. There are claims that he was involved in a huge, $450 million, as I recall, um, Bitcoin scam that was uh, masterminded by various FSB officers, but I have absolutely no idea. But clearly at the moment, he's willing to spend a lot of money and he's got the money to spend. And he's also got p interesting political resources. And some of these are essentially ones that are rooted in social capital. He is involved in charitable work, genuine charitable work, not, shall we say, political work gussied up as charity. His role in supporting Russians overseas and supporting the church and so forth gets him, him kudos. And in particular, he's very close to Father Tikhon who is also Putin's confessor. So there is some kind of potential sort of back-channel route there. So, all in all, this is going to be a really interesting issue to, to follow, I think. Not least because when the ultra-patriots, and let's face it, there are some of these people, including, I think, probably Malafeyev, actually think Putin should become Tsar. When they start moving much more into advocating specific policy agendas, particularly if they do actually as I think is highly unlikely, but if they do get in actually into the Duma or whatever, well, sometimes this might end up being counter to Kremlin policy. I mean, for example, the Kremlin, for all its talk, is not actually anything like as socially conservative as a lot of the people who support the Kremlin. Thus, there is the risk of a gap opening up, of the ultra-nationalists getting alienated by a Kremlin that they think is weak and failing to live up to its own promises. And this creates the scope for increased opposition to Putin from the right, from the anti-liberal side, which again I think is an interesting development that we've already seen emerging in other more marginal and much less well-funded directions. So that's why I'm really quite interested at the moment, but then again, you know, a, a sad wonk like me would be, why I'm particularly interested in the moment in not just Konstantin Malafeyev, but his new Tsargrad political movement. And we'll have to see what happens. Well, thank you very much indeed for listening. This was another cellcast from the In Moscow Shadow series. And if you had wanted to have got this a week earlier, you could have done so and received other benefits as well by becoming a patron. You can go to patreon.com slash in moscow shadows 
Either way, though, as I said, thank you for listening. Goodbye. <laughs> Товарищ правда.